0: If you have your Bible this morning, turn to the book of Psalms. I want to talk to you a little bit about the word expectation. Miracles are now. Miracles are now. Hebrews 11.1 1 says what? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, not yet realized. So we have a reason to be expecting you ever seen a first time mom and she's pregnant. She just found out she's pregnant. And uh, in most cases, she's very excited <laughs> about uh, that baby. And uh, as the pregnancy goes along, uh, You know, she goes through so many things and she's just excited, wondering, you know, what the baby's doing, how the baby's growing. Does the baby have hands yet? Is his or her little eyes developed? You know, I felt the baby move and what should I eat? And there's all of these things that goes on, uh, you know, in a mom's body uh, and in her mind. And she is expecting. That's why they call it uh, an expectant mother, because she is not only expecting just to have a baby, She's expecting a bundle of joy. She's expecting a new life. Things are going to change. She expects with hope and with anticipation of this baby. And as soon as the baby is born, the mother wants to hold, give me the baby. I want to see the baby, expectant mother and expectant father. There is no reason for us not to believe that we should not have that same feeling, that same expectation of the Lord in our life. You usually get what you expect. You expect nothing, that's usually what you get. But expectation first begins in the heart. This is a big word, expectation. Some people's expectations have been diminished by life circumstances. Maybe you've been disappointed, offended, maybe you've been let down, Maybe you've lost someone or lost a job or suffered some kind of loss in life and it's dashed your expectations. But I want to let you know this morning that expectation is simply a matter of the heart and then it is a matter of faith, an action of faith. The heart of expecting is a heart that fills a person's life with hope and a positive, life-filled, faith-filled attitude. God is our expectation. You know, Abraham said something one time that sort of changed my view on how I view miracles, how I view blessings, how I view God himself. He said something to the Lord. He said, Lord, you are my very great reward. Not the cattle that you've given me, Not all of the money, not the family that you've given me, not the promises even that you've given me. But Lord, you, the I am, you are my very great reward. And when we can learn to allow God himself to be our very great reward, we'll understand that our expectations are founded in faith, truth, love, and justice. When we can make God our very great reward. David put it this way in Psalms 5 verse 3. In the New King James he said, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will, what? Look up. Now, the NIV put it this way. It said, I lay my request before you and I wait, what? Expectantly. I wake up in the morning, I look to you, and I expect. Just like a child, when he's hungry, he cries, and if his mother comes over, he looks up, expecting. Like a little girl on Christmas morning, she wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning, runs downstairs, looks under the tree, expecting. God doesn't want you to be disappointed. He wants you to be expecting. This is the heart of expecting, believing, praying, watching for answered prayer. Here in this passage of scripture, I wait for you expectantly. We have the Greek word elpis. And this, this, this word It's from another Hebrew word, but it, it translates to the word hope. But it also means the desire of something good with an expectation of obtaining it. I fully expect to receive what I hope for. I am not hoping to say, well, if it comes, that's great. If it doesn't, that's okay. I'll just have some hope. But David's expectation is one of hope with full expectation of receiving what he hoped for. Now, for some of us, that means we have to put our heart out on our sleeve. For some of us, that means we're going to be exposed. For some of us, it means, oh, it's not all in our hands. I don't have control of it. Other than the confession, the belief, and the faith. But the manifestation of it, I am putting in the hands of the Lord. Now here's what I want to tell you. God lives outside of time. And he's already manifested the thing in eternity. And so, while you're saying, Lord, my faith is in you, I wait expectantly, now you have to manifest it. He's saying to you, the thing is already manifest, I'm waiting on you to speak your faith. That you might realize what I've already done. What I want to tell you this morning is God is simply getting you ready for what he already has ready. Come on now. He's getting you prepared for what he's already prepared for you. This is why you can wait with an expectation. You see, this verse is powerful. It's a foundational scripture of our faith. It really is. I mean, we look at... How Jesus dealt with his disciples in Matthew chapter uh, 7 and 8 and how in Mark chapter 11 and we see these bedrock scriptures of faith. But I want to tell you back in Psalms, David laid down the foundation when he said, I wake up in the morning, I look to you expecting, expecting God will cause our expectation to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will cause your expectation to overflow, to abound, to surpass, to be more than enough, to increase continually. My expectation will increase because God is more than enough. He's able to do far above all that you ask or think, exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Now, why can we expect God to do miracles? Well, number one, we must understand that miracles are only miracles to us. It's only a miracle to you. To God, it's just normal business. God's saying, this is just the way I do things. I'll show you what I'm talking about here in a minute. You're familiar with the story of how Jesus went to a wedding in Cana. You remember the story. Over in John chapter 2, he had to go with his mother. I imagine he was at home with his friends, probably ready to watch the game or play Xbox. No, this wasn't Jesus. But maybe he was working on the table. You know, he was a carpenter. And his mother said, come on, you and the boys, let's go. We're going to a wedding. Oh, mom, come on. It's your cousin. We're going to the wedding. So he and his friends went to the wedding. So they're talking, looking at people seeing what's going on, and his mother comes over to him, and what does she say? They're out of wine. John chapter 2 said they're out of wine. And uh, he said, well, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. You know, I'm not, I'm not fully prepared. I got to get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, I got to come on now. Got to go to church a couple more times. Well, she didn't even pay attention as a mother would do. I ain't paying attention. Now, when you go on to glory, okay, then that'll be a different situation. But right now you're wrapped in flesh and you're my son. So she just turned from him, looked to the servants and said, whatever he says, do it. I really believe that Mary knew the greatest thing there ever is to know about miracles. What Mary knew about miracles. Whatever he says, do it. Just do it. And then the Bible says what? There There were set six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification. What does that mean? That means that these water pots of stone were for washing your hands, for purifying yourself. This wasn't drinking water. Come on. Containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Each water pot contain 20 or 30 gallons of water in it. He told them what to do. He said, fill the water pots up with water. He didn't say fill it with wine. He said, fill it with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Let me tell you something. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know. I mean, we have the benefit of looking back on the situation. But they, he said, fill the water pots up. Well, what's he going to do? Maybe he's going to distract people. Have them wash their hands and, you know, do some other things. Maybe he's preparing a game for them to play so they'll take their mind off of the fact that there is no wine. They didn't know. For many of us, we want to figure out how God's going to do it. What's he going to do? What are all the steps before we obey him? You don't know what God's going to do and how he's going to do it. All you need to know is he said do this and you do that according to what he said. God wants us to obey Him. And what does that mean? Do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. And don't worry about the results. The results will be great. What do you expect? What do you expect? It's God. He created the universe. The earth is His footstool. When He breathes, stars come out. Come on. He stopped time. He stopped the er rotation of the earth. And nobody burned up. Nobody froze to death. What do you expect? Just do what he tells you to do. So he said, fill them up with water. And then he said, now, draw some out. Draw some what? He just said, draw some out. They figure, okay, I'll draw some water out. Draw it out, take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that now was made wine... And did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. They had just witnessed. Not only witnessed, they were part of the miracle. Why? Because of their obedience. Not knowing what was going to happen. They knew where it came from. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom. He didn't know what was going on. What's going on? He said to him, every man... At the beginning sets out the what? Good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, they drunk now. They don't care what kind of wine they get. They could get water, Sprite, tomato juice. They don't know what it is now. He said, then the inferior comes out. You have saved the good wine. Another version says you saved the best wine until now. Now I want to talk about this for a moment. Because I was thinking about Jesus made the best wine. A version says the best wine. If you look it up in the Greek, it's the very best wine. Now, I did some looking, did some checking. And I looked at how expensive is the best bottle of wine in the world right now. And I found a nice French conti. I'm talking like I know about wine. Just go. (laughs) Bottle of wine was sold in Dubai for $155,000. One bottle of wine. Now, some of you who don't drink wine, notice I said some of you, uh, who who don't drink wine may say, well, you know, that wine is not that valuable. Well, I want to tell you something. A thing is as valuable as somebody, what somebody's willing to pay for it. So, yeah, somebody bought it for that, it's that valuable. $155,000 thousand dollars for one bottle of wine. I started thinking about this as it relates to this thing. I said, okay, Lord, I'm not a mathematician. I got pretty good grades in math, and let me just figure through this a little bit. I said, well, a glass of wine average is probably about five ounces. A bottle of wine is probably somewhere around 25 ounces of wine. I said, how does that compare to what you had here? Well, he said there were six water pots. I said, well, six water pots is not a lot of water pots. Until I saw that it was 20 to 30 gallons each water pot. So that's between 120 and 180 gallons of water or wine in these water pots. So you average it out to about 150 gallons. Well, how much wine is that? Well, if one bottle of the best wine is $155,000 and it's 25 ounces, how much of that is in this wine? I figured there are about 30 bottles of wine in 150 gallons. One bottle, $155,000. Anybody do the math in your head real quick? That's about four and a half, about $4.6 million. There at this wedding, which they ran out of wine, and all they had was some water to wash your hands with, in one minute went from hand-washing water to $4.6 million worth of wine. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you're not excited because it's not your wedding. You say, well, you know, if that was my wedding, I might be a little more excited. But that's not what really baked my cookie when I thought about that. When I thought about that, I was thinking about, okay, how long does it take to make wine? Well, you have to grow the grapes on the vine. That's probably a year. I don't know. Farmers out there may know. Grow the grapes. And then after that, you got to get them all together Crush them, stomp them down, get all the grape juice, you gotta bottle it up, cork it up real good, and then you gotta set it on the shelf. I'm told it takes about nine years for a decent bottle of wine. Now this was the best wine. So I don't know, I have no idea how much, how long it takes. But let's just go with that. Nine years. Jesus went from zero to sixty in about three seconds. He skipped all the steps of the natural Come on, and not just made a little wine so it would get him over, but he went from zero to $4.6 million worth of wine just like that. Come on, miracles are now, and probably in his flesh, he didn't even want to do it. He said, what what does this have to do with me? My time is not now. Okay, here's $4.6 million worth of wine. Can I go back to playing with my boys? Come on. And this for a family that his mother was simply concerned that they would be embarrassed. That's all. Wasn't a great healing, raising somebody from the dead, somebody was in financial trouble. You know, none of that. They were just about to be embarrassed. So to save them from embarrassment, Jesus over, above, exceeding, abundantly, more than all you can ask or think. Let me ask you a question. What do you expect? What do you expect the Lord to do? See, we we are we're confined by time. We are confined by what, what God has put us in, this thing called time. But I want to tell you, Jesus is not confined by that thing. So often, here's what happened when Jesus performed miracles on earth. Let me just give you a clue. This is, this is what I perceived that happened. What happened was it wasn't just that there was some magic trick that happened, but I believe that Jesus was where he was in time, but he reached into another era, into a future time where there would be no time. And he brought back with him, come on, what was over there and brought it here so that what's in eternity manifest what's in the now. That's what he did. But see, in our mind, we're not used to that. We're confined by time. Let me show you something else. Go over to Genesis. Let me show you this. This is what I'm talking about. This is what God, this is what he created us initially to be. You look in the mirror today and you think that's how God created you and that's what he created you to be. You really don't have a clue of what God really created you to be. Come on, you're looking at fallen man when you look in the mirror. You can't see what God really created. I'm about to show you. Look over at at Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to look down in in verse verse 7. The Bible says, God, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils, come on, the breath of life. And the Bible says man became a what? Living being. There are some translations that translate that man became a speaking spirit. He became a speaking spirit. And the Bible says that God created man in his likeness. Now here's, here's what I see. Here's what I, I imagine when I, when I hear God created man in his likeness. I imagine that if you stood Adam when he created him right then up next to God, I think the angels would have thought they were seeing double. Come on. They, God said, I, I created him in my likeness, a speaking spirit. Man has my DNA. Man has my creativity. Man has my mind. Man has my ability. Oh, come on now. I know it's getting kind of quiet because that seems a little deep. Now, he, he didn't make us God, but he made us like him. So much so that your enemy got so jealous. Come on. That all he wants to do is kill you. He wants to sift you through his fingers like dust. You want to know why? Because he's jealous. He tried to be like God. God cast him out. Man ran from God. God made man like him. Come on. What do you expect? (laughs) What do you expect? And so look down at, go all the way down to verse Go down to verse 15. He became a living being. He became a speaking spirit. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden, to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But the tree of knowledge, underline knowledge if you would there, because this is important. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. That word knowledge there comes from a Hebrew word, death, D-A space A-T-H. And it means this. It means knowledge gained by the senses. That's what it's talking about. Knowledge gained by the senses. So now, can you see it? When Eve and Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge, watch it now, watch this, of the knowledge of good and evil, now, see, before that, Adam was connected to the Lord, what? Spiritually. When he breathed into him, he made him a living spirit, a speaking spirit, and he spoke to him through the spirit. But now that he ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge gained by senses of good and evil, now he no longer was connected to God through the spirit. So I said, you will surely die. But now, Everything he did, he had to do based on knowledge gained by the senses. Which is how we walk today. We walk by knowledge gained by the senses. What can I hear? What do I see? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like when I touch it? Now let me tell you something. You might say, well that's okay. I mean, I have my senses so I can do that. Let me tell you something. We are limited. I was thinking about myself. When I went in the army, I took a little test, and it was a test for colorblind. And I failed that test. Now, the thing is, when I tell people today I'm colorblind, they immediately go, What color is that? (laughs) Well, colorblind doesn't necessarily mean you can't see any color at all. Okay, I can see colors. But it's when some colors begin to mix together. Some reds and some greens together, you know, and some colors begin to go together. I can't, I can't discern some colors. So what happens is when I look out into a field filled with flowers, I can see some beauty because I can see some color, but others may be able to look and distinguish certain colors and it's that much more beautiful. So for me, I'm limited. It's not that I can't at all, but I am limited. You ever had a stuffy nose in the wintertime? Your nose is all stuffed up, and you walk somewhere, and somebody says, Ah, you smell that? And you go, No, I don't. (laughs) You're limited because you walk by senses. Come on. Without this. blur. Oh, okay, a little better now. We're limited by our senses. But you must understand when Adam and Eve were first created, they were not limited by their senses because God spoke to their spirit. They were speaking spirits. Now, let me tell you this. There came a day when the Lord said, enough is enough. The fullness of time is here. I am going to go and buy my people back. But not only am I going to buy them back, I'm going to provide a door where they can go back to the way it used to be in their spirit. In their spirit. Now, he's, he didn't come to save the flesh. Flesh still going to die. But he did say, it, if you believe in me, that I died on the cross for your sins... If you confess it with your mouth and believe I rose on the third day, not only will you be saved, come on, but if any man believes in me, he's a new creature. I'm creating something new. There's something that's dead. See, Adam and Eve became the walking dead. People think you got to watch it on TV. You see it every day. Come on, go to the work. Go to the grocery store. You see the walking dead. And it's exactly what you were before you allowed Jesus to come into your life. The walking dead. Come on. That's what we were. Until you said, Lord, save me. And Jesus said, wake up. And something came alive in you. God breathed the breath of life in you. And you became a speaking spirit. But guess what? With our speaking spirit, we don't speak. So then... What do you expect? You're a speaking spirit. If a speaking spirit doesn't speak, how much speaking can a speaking spirit do? If a speaking spirit doesn't speak. (laughs) You are a speaking spirit. You must know that this morning so that you can have an expectation. It is time for us, saints, to to stop expecting the worst, to stop expecting what happened yesterday, to stop expecting how we were disappointed to happen again. I mean, if you're going to walk... What did did Paul say? Walk by faith and not by what? Paul told the Corinthians over in chapter 2, verse 9, he said, But as it is written eye that's your that's natural eye your with your senses has not seen neither has ear come on this natural ear heard nor has it entered into the heart the natural heart your 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 natural soul your carnal mind of man the things which god has prepared for those who love him in other words your natural I, your natural ear, your natural mind, can't understand what I have prepared for you, says the Lord. But look at the next verse. In 10 it says, but God has revealed them to us, what? Through his spirit. Spirit to spirit. That's how he speaks to us. Spirit to spirit. He has revealed it to us by his spirit. That's how God speaks to you. See, the world can't understand it because they're limited by time. They're limited by senses. The world is looking for a big booming voice from the sky. Or they're looking for a burning bush. Well, if there really is a God, how come there's not a burning bush? It's a God thing. You wouldn't understand it. You can't understand it until you receive the Lord. And he says, wake up and something in you is changed. We need to have an expectation. Let me leave you with these five things to expect. We could go on forever about this expectation. It's just touching the tip of the iceberg. I just wanted to get you excited. I want you to know who you are and what God created you to be. You are a speaking spirit. What do you expect? You've been speaking negativity. You've been speaking, well, maybe this, maybe that. What do you expect? You're going to get maybe this, maybe that. The first thing you need to expect is God to do miracles in your life. Come on. Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is what? Impossible. But with God, how many things are possible? Just a few things? All things are possible. I don't care what it is. Why do we limit it then? Why do we limit God? All things are possible. Relationships. Being restored are possible. Healings on, at, in the midnight hours is possible. Financial miracles. are po- All things are possible to those who what? Believe. Those who believe. Number two, expect God to do great things not only in you but through you. So often we're looking for a miracle and we really need to be a miracle. Come on. That's what loving Jesus transforming lives is all about. First of all, look for the miracle. I look up. In the morning, I wake up. I look to you, David said, expecting. And then Jesus said to go out and do likewise. Show grace. Show mercy. Show compassion. Bless those. Come on. Sometimes we're looking for a miracle when we need to be a miracle. Expect God to do great things in you and Through you. One version of Hebrews 11.33 said, Through acts of faith they toppled the kingdom. They made justice work. They took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions, fires, swords. Come on. They turned disadvantage to advantage. They won battles. They routed all armies. Women receive their loved ones back from the dead. This is scripture. This is scripture now. I'm not talking about fantasy. I'm not talking about Star Wars. Come on. I'm talking about reality. Expect God to do great things in you and through you. And then number three, expect God to favor you, bless you, and guess what? Surprise you. Expect favor from the Lord. You know, that's difficult for us sometimes because we know what a worm we can be sometimes. Those are Jacob's words. We know some things we've done, things we've said, things we thought, things we've gone through. Come on. And the enemy will bring that back up to you every day, every moment of your life. And so that kills your expectation. God wouldn't bless me, Lord, if you just, you know. And I used to pray this prayer, Lord, if you don't do, and it's a true prayer. Lord, if you don't do anything else for me the rest of my life, I just love you and I just thank you. You don't have to do anything else for me. You know what God says to you? Shut up. Shut up because I'm going to do more. Don't try to limit me. Come on. I understand you're thankful. Appreciate that. I understand I've done all this for you. Right? And you're thankful for it. But really, shut up. And start confessing my word because I'm not done. Because if you limit me to that, now you're saying that's all I can do. You're saying all I can do is go about 6,000 years, then I got to stop. And God's saying 6,000 is nothing. Did you see how quickly I made the wine water? I mean the water wine. Come on. You know how long it usually takes? Nine years. Did you see how I did it? Pour it in, pour it out. There you go. What else do you need? What else? Give me something else. Come on. Sometimes God, I, I imagine he just is like a, like a problem solver. What do you need? Ran out of wine? They dip in, dip out. Okay, what else you need? You, what you need? Healing? Spit? There you go. You can see. what? Come on. What else? Now, of course, God wants us to have a relationship with him. We know that. We know that. But I'm just talking about how we limit God. We try to limit him. And God's saying, don't Limit, expect me, God is saying to you, to favor you, to bless you, to surprise. expect the favor, expect blessing. And I want to tell you something else. The brother gave the word this morning. God said, I am. I don't need anybody. I don't need you to even believe in me to be God. I'm still going to be God whether you believe me or not. Believe in me is for you, not for me. Come on. I don't need no affirmation. I always was and I always will be. Come on. But listen, if you want to get somewhere in life, then you need to believe me. Because what do you say? I am. I am. I'm everything you will ever need. I am. And when I show you favor, it's not based on how good you are. Because if that were the case, no one would get favor. The only one that ever walked this earth that would get favor would be Jesus Christ himself. And that's only because God wrapped himself in flesh. Come on. No one would get favor. But he wants to show you favor. So expect it. Psalm 8411, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Listen to this now. No good thing, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That doesn't mean you do everything right. When he says walk uprightly, listen, God imputes into you righteousness. So those who accept the righteousness of God and their heart is toward him, that's what he's talking about. When you walk that way with an expectation, God will show you favor and no good thing will he keep from you. How many want a good thing this morning? Come on. And then number four, expect God to abundantly provide for you. Now, I threw this in here. Financially. Yeah, that's right. Financially. He's able to do it. He knows you can't bless others if you're not blessed yourself. Come on, if you're the one always asking, how are you going to bless somebody else? Yeah, I know, got a little quiet on that one. Psalm 35, 27, let them shout for joy and be glad. Who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. Who has pleasure, pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. He has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God said in another place, I would that you prosper. Even as your soul prospers. See, if you just, if you all you do is focus on the financial prosperity, you're going to be, again, I said it before, hamster in the wheel. But if you focus on your soul prospering, And you speak the word of God to your other circumstances. Don't go out and try to work four or five jobs to get ahead. But you need to begin to speak to some things. The scripture. You need to press in to the presence of the Lord. That my soul would prosper. Because even as my soul prospers, God takes pleasure that you're prospering in every other area. Financially, in your relationships. Come on. On your job, you have favor with God. And man, you walk in authority. Circumstances come at you, but they fall off of you. Come on. Hallelujah. Lastly, expect God to get you out of the boat. Get out the boat. Stop sleeping. (coughs) Sleeping in the boat. Come on. God never sleeps nor slumbers. He's never slack on his promises. And you were made in his likeness. You were made in his image. You were made like him. You have strength. Come on. Those who faint not don't faint I know your body is tired I know you've been thinking about it your mind is a little tired but God has a perfect peace for you those who run on and faint not if you want to walk on water you got to what get out of the boat out of your comfort zone out of your security place take a step over the edge what have you got to lose you're gonna die in the boat get on out the boat come on Matthew 14 28 and 29 you know the story Peter answered him and said Lord if it's you now this is an interesting scripture to me because Jesus came to them walking on the water right and uh exactly. for he, he came to them walking on the water. They thought it was a ghost. And he said, do not be afraid. It is I. Peter said, well, Lord, if it's you. Command me to step out of the boat. Guess what? Jesus gave him the word. Step out of the boat. Come on. Peter stepped down on the word of God and walked on the water. If you expect miracles in your life, you are going to have to get out of the boat. And you're going to have to expect God to get you out of the boat. It's time for some in here to get out of the boat. Come on. Some of us need to look in the mirror. Come on and say, all right, Lord, I'm about to step out of the boat. And I'm about to step on your word. We're gonna talk about this thing over the next few weeks. We're gonna get, I'm just laying a foundation here today. This is nothing. This is just, this is just to kinda of get you fired up to see what's coming. In a couple weeks, Sister Dietra coming, you better be ready. You better be ready. Cause God through her is gonna get us out of the boat. We wanna see our seats filled? We need to get out of the boat. We need to see some prosperity in our lives. Financially. We're going to need to get out of the boat. And getting out of the boat doesn't mean getting four jobs. Getting out of the boat means to focus some of your attention and your time toward this word. Come on. Stop, stop going by your senses. Come on. My senses tell me I need to do this. My senses tell me I need to take out a loan. My senses tell me I need to get another job. My senses tell, my senses tell me God's saying, what's your spirit telling you? What do you expect? What is my spirit telling your spirit? And then what is your spirit telling you? What is it telling you? Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God.